throwing parties are sort of the worst thing I can imagine doing. You know, it's kind of like getting music people to go to a dance show. I don't get it. to I Don't Get It, a dance podcast about Edmonton dance. About, yes. I couldn't have said that Things in a more stilted in way. Edmonton, like dance, yes. Dance. Contempor- mostly contemporary yes, dance. a podcast about contemporary dance in Edmonton. I'm Paul. And I'm Fonda. Um, and it is a, a big week for us. This is a big podcast. We have a very jam-packed episode for There's you all today. Three things we, in some combination of one or both of us, saw in the past two two weeks. Yes. Well, actually, actually just like just since Friday, days. and yeah. it is Wednesday today. So just in the past, yeah, literally seven days. Um, uh, and one of those things had three things within it. Right. Which was the first one. Right. Um, so let's let's launch right in. We don't have time for lollygagging <laughs> like usual. None of the, none of this soundbite crap that we try to capture before um, every episode. So yes, the first thing that um we saw, well that I saw, you saw um was Alberta Ballet's Dynamic Directions, which was um three pieces by by different western choreographers, like Canadian western choreographers, is that right? Yes, uh yeah, all western Canadian choreographers, although Yukichi Hitori is probably and and arguably Wenwei are also not originally western Canadian, sure. but now they now they're here. They, this is where they work in, <laughs> so, in some capacity. Yes. Um also just have to say that um they had to it was absolutely the shittiest title for a show that could ever exist that is for a show that was this exciting dynamic directions of course excuse the language but we are going to be uh, putting a language warning on this episode because there's another piece that we actually have to um, talk about that that uses language more I don't want to warn anyone I just want to swear well we we can just swear anyway anyway Um, shitty title dynamic directions really great show though Um, three amazing pieces. The first one was um, Wenwei Wang's Futureland, which was commissioned for Alberta Ballet. Uh, Now, the piece, uh, it was a great piece, very physical, very, um, very male heavy. A lot of the, um, a lot of the scenes had only um, the full cast of all men in it. Um, and the, the men from the Alberta Ballet company. Yes, the, the, the men from the company. And um, featuring a couple of sort of solo parts with Kelly McKinley and Yukichi Hattori, of course. Um, the ending of the piece was a, a very nice duet, actually, with Riley McKinley and Kelly McKinley, who um, are now married in oh, Alberta Ballet. Um, uh, uh, formerly Riley Bell, I believe, was, right. was her name before that. Um, so, so why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what, what was that piece looked like, what you saw? So the piece was inspired by, um, initially by video games and video game culture. Um, the music, there's actually, some of the music was actually from video games. It started out with something from the um, original soundtrack from Infamous. I, okay. don't, I don't know what game that is. I think, I think one really interesting thing um, in the last couple of years, not last couple of years, um, in video game culture is that it is a place of big like orchestra and sound. Mm-hmm. Like it's sort of been another place where orchestra can really play out. So it doesn't surprise me that video game music would um, pair well with dance in that way. Yeah, um, and the pieces were all 
extremely physical, um, really great. Some, I mean, Wen Wei Wang has a lot of uh, great qualities that he infuses into the dance. Um, mm -hmm. Some of them seem like martial arts sometimes, and I feel like maybe we only think of that thinking of this piece in the context of video game kind of sparring. Sure, um, sure. But also, um, Wen Wei has used martial arts movement before in some of his pieces, so there's a lot of um, kind of lower body heavy movement. Um, but yeah, overall, very physical, very masculine, um, and the music was very orchestral and big. Um, and of course, to see contemporary choreography and movement um, like that, of that caliber, with such a large company, mm -hmm. is also always just kind of really, it's really impressive to see. Sure, so were there, were there moments of sort of like, um, opposing people almost sparring on stage. Sort of, you've talked about. Um, there was a little bit that you could see. You could see a little bit of um, sort of masculine competition happening. Sure. Um, there was one sort of. Uh, uh, like a three guys and one woman dancing and um it seemed a little bit like there was some kind of you know um, battle not for power going on but battle to impress maybe sure yes, um but yeah and then I, I i do have to point out that the duet at the end between the mckinleys was really actually quite nice and um kind of at least a little bit of a, a feminine touch on what was largely a really masculine evening a dude party <laughs> in fact all of dance and dude party all of the dances that we saw for this particular episode of the podcast, Paul, were pretty man-heavy. Sure, um, okay. I'll point that out. So the second piece in uh, Dynamic Directions was Azure Burton's... Um, Oh, it, Azure Barton's piece was really great, and it has a really long title. Um, and we're gonna put throw out a salute to Toy Guns, thinking that maybe they are not the only ones who do this. Um, right. But Azure Barton's piece was called "Happy Little Things," bracket waiting on a gruff cloud of wanting. Um, close bracket. So I'm glad you closed that bracket. Sorry, yeah, I know it would have left you hanging. Yeah. It would have been, yeah. it would have bugged you the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> um, great. Okay. So, so tell me about that piece. What yeah. That piece? So, um, the piece was, uh, it actually featured sort of like an, uh, a fence railing along the entire back of the stage. And it, it starts with the entire company essentially sitting on this post, sort of like, you know, chewing on straws with the sunset behind them. It was oh, all, cool. all really sepia toned. And there were almost Western. -y, it like. was very Western, very, um, it seemed like there, it was the afternoon of a stampede or afternoon of sort of like a 4-H kind of gathering. Cool. So um, the dancers were all, while very masculine, um, the female dancers were there too. They were kind of androgynous, I guess. Um, they were all wearing cowboy hats, loose pants. And uh, the one thing I would want to point out about the movement is that it, um, Azure Barton's choreography, when I have seen it, has this real ease to it like just kind of a flow it's almost like everything seems a little bit syncopated um one thing flows into another and it's very um yeah it, i i really enjoyed the movement um there were there were some group scenes and a lot of great um great lines and synchronicity so at the very end of the piece it seemed that yukichi hattori sort of took on this role of, you know, like the cheerful, happy-go-lucky cow that is about to die, oh, or like no. the last one. Okay. Although you don't really know that that's mm -hmm. happening. It's just kind of like maybe a little cow or horse that got roped in or something. And Kelly McKinley is sort of this somber cowboy that just kind of like on the side of the stage the whole time, hat, you know, like tipped down so you can't right. really see his face. Cool. Um, the rest of the dancers kind of make like a dog pile slash pyramid. Yukichi jumps up to the top of them and kind of does a little 
uh, a, a little kick dance, and then at the very on end, top of the, them? yeah, on top of them, at the and the cool. the very last note is him essentially just kind of like. <gasps> like death knell and kicking it and he wow. just falls back blackout um it was it, physically it was a great piece the company did fantastic uh originally choreographed for the juilliard school in 2009 oh, wow. um and so this was a new piece for them i thought they did very well cool um uh, was there anything else like was there i guess a narrative to it does that make sense like given that the imagery of sort of this this cowboy world was so strong did it did it start in that was it sort of I think so. Actually, the way that it started was really interesting. So it was the second piece of the night. There mm-hmm. was an intermission that happened before it. Okay. And um, we were sitting there. I actually saw the piece with Andrew, our producer here. So um, we were sitting there and there was, a, um, you know, a guy who starts walking through the audience. He's dressed very stampede style with a cowboy hat and a vest and stuff. Audience, and, okay. you know, I mean, frankly, I knew right away that he, that he was a dancer but there sure. was a pair of ladies behind us like oh oh look oh poor guy cuz he start he goes in and he starts actually um, shuffling through a row of people that is of full of, yeah, of who, who are seated, right? Yeah. Of course, in the like double A, you know, like most expensive seats of the house yeah. in the center, right in front of the stage. Um, so he's shuffling through these people, asking them all kind of the, you know, gesturing Excuse that they me, need sorry, to stand yeah. up, you know. Um, and uh, <laughs> the couple of ladies behind us like, oh no, oh poor him, how did he get in? He looks like he should be at a Brad Paisley concert. <laughs> <laughs> So you went to the wrong Jubilee. Yeah. He <laughs> was in Calgary tonight. So, and then, um, you know, and it takes until he's a, a, across the entire row of 20 or 30 people um, that he actually goes down the other aisle onto the steps of the stage and sits on the corner of the stage sure. where he remains for the rest of the the piece, essentially. Cool. And uh, so we didn't hear too much chatter from them afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, uh, it was funny that, um, you know... It, even though he looked so different than everyone else in the audience, they still kind of thought that he wasn't supposed to be there. Sure, like, yeah. Not obvi- a, not obviously. Obvious point, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So that's that's two of the pieces. What was the what was the third one? That's two. So the third was uh, Yukichi Hattori's new piece mm. called Right, uh, choreographed to the Rite of Spring, Stravinsky's ah. The Rite of Spring, which you may recognize from the like crazy uh, dinosaur scene in Fantasia. And, um, but of course. Among all the other things. Actually, really, I watched that recently. Yeah. It's a strange. <laughs> parallel to make. Anyways, keep going. That's uh, yeah, and well, that was that was the first thing that I thought because I, you know, when you when you, I, I interviewed Yukichi before the piece mm-hmm. to to chat about what his um his thoughts were, and interestingly, he said that uh, you know his initial idea was to do a piece about sheep and um you know kind of something very cutesy, but then also realized that he was up against Azure Barton and Win Wei Wang, and sure. said I need to go bigger. So he went with this piece called Right, and um the movement in it was really interesting. I uh, had a friend also comment that it was um, there was a lot of flocking in the movement. Um, it all seemed very organic. It was supposed to look very molecular, like cells okay. starting to form into larger organisms and things. And in that way, I think that it really succeeded in the choreography. Um, the music is so kind of 
abstract but also very commanding and they the the dancers really kind of went all out in terms of uh, trying to build shapes around it that were abstract and not not necessarily narrative the one friend commented she she i don't know if she comes from a science background but she said that she felt like it was a little bit much and it looked like it was actually dna sequencing in front of her um so building the genome on the jubilee yeah so 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 that was um really cool uh i i yeah i Again, with such with such bold music um, and all of the group work, this kind of like organic flocking that was happening, uh, I you know it it did seem it did seem uh, really interesting and um, yeah, definitely definitely uh, belonged on the stage with those other two pieces. Sure, so held its own by by avoiding the the, the sheep approach. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, although I would like to see that piece sometime in the future. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I mean, I think that, I don't know, I felt like, I guess I felt that it ended a little bit, um, I didn't quite like the ending very much. I felt that it sort of started pandering on a very kind of, it was it was a female solo, but it sort of started going towards a, um, like, oh yes, Genesis from birth from the mother, and yes, of course, it always has to go back to a woman, but, and even though, yes, I'll make the complaint that every other piece that we're watching is like so man heavy in mm-hmm. this episode, um, it just didn't, it didn't feel uh, as necessary to me. I felt that the group pieces actually showed the Genesis a lot. Um, illustrated the Genesis a lot more interestingly than the than the solo did. Sure, great, mm-hmm. cool. That was a night of dance that, that was I a, wish I hadn't missed. That was a really long night of dance, but it was Apparently. great. It was great. Yeah, cool. And then uh, and then moving right along, uh, we saw a, a much shorter night of dance on on Monday at mm-hmm. the Windspear. Yeah, it actually wasn't really um, programmed necessarily as a night of dance, mm-hmm. but there was dance in it. This was um, the Edmonton Metropolitan Chorus, mm-hmm. um, and uh, along with the Ichoristi Chamber Choir and the Edmonton Metropolitan Orchestra, were performing Mozart's Requiem, mm-hmm. uh, and they in- they had invited Tony Olivares Dance to come and choreograph a piece uh, to that to that well very iconic piece of music <laughs> right yeah of course and they and uh, they in turn invited um some parkour uh artists i don't know if you'd call them dancers but artists movers um to to join them as part of this choreography yeah so there were um there were four movers from fly free movement uh that were uh, um dancing along with tony olivares uh there were five dancers from his company mm-hmm. and um yeah so I don't, you know, I don't know a ton about parkour, but when I heard about the the idea for the the show, I thought, wow, how are you going to do parkour in the Windsor Center? <laughs> right, right. And I mean, the the shorter answer is they did. Uh, they brought out some almost like giant like uh, like gymnastics horses, almost like the yeah. sense of these these sort of like shapes. Um, that got that got drawn onto stage that people could jump over and they could alter and and make sort of ramps out of for their bodies and and achieve a certain level of of flight um, mm-hmm. and and high flipping high flipping and, and the and I'd say the the two minutes to you know th- maybe three minutes of actual like intense parkour that we did see on mm-hmm. those apparatus were. Um, were great yeah um yeah. and you know parkour parkour arms and shoulders have to be like insanely strong right which <laughs> i think was very apparent it starts when the dancers first come out they're all they're all shirtless um uh all dudes yet again all dudes um, yeah <laughs> the trend in this episode well and that's um, kind of tony olivar's mandate sure yeah. um yeah um so so everyone's shirtless um 
uh, and they, they sort of have there's there's sort of uh, I I guess um, movements or, or images that sort of repeated. So the the piece was sort of bookended with the same sequence at the start as at the end, but sort of this movement of like arms forward, people sort of walking forward with their hands forward and displayed to an audience and or to each other. Mm -hmm. um, some movement like that. These sort of group moments where everyone would sort of gather in a cluster together and then and then break off. And then these sequences of 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 pairs of people sort of in a line. Um, paired together trying to do uh, like synchronized movement, I guess. So it would sort of ripple. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they would sort of do a cannon across the stage. Yeah. Really, you know, kind of Is follow that what you another? call it. A cannon? I don't know. I, that's what they do when you're singing, you know, like row, row, row your butt, and then someone else right, starts. Right. Like, yeah. that's okay. it. I don't, I'm not sure if the movement term is the same. A physical <laughs> cannon. Yeah, you like a here physical first. cannon. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So, so what did you think of the, the movement quality and the things we saw? As you said, there were a couple sort of dedicated moments of parkour, but a lot of the rest of it was more um, uh, traditional mm -hmm. dance, I guess. Yeah, it was actually very structured, the movement. Mm -hmm. um, it was, uh, they, 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 so they danced for nine movements of the 14 that are in Requiem. So they started out um, for the first couple of movements doing, you know, like sort of like walking around the stage and sort of establishing the space um, with lilies. Yeah, with, um, yeah. And then, um, and then they went into sort of a more intense movement phase. And I thought that while while it didn't seem as necessarily polished as um, uh, you know, like other companies, mm -hmm. uh, it was it was still very strong and intense movement. Yeah. Everyone was very committed. Um, and I think it's mm -hmm. an interesting idea to pair um, uh, contemporary dancers with parkour movers mm -hmm. and sort of put them through the same paces effectively. And watching those pairings and how that, that worked out was really interesting, I thought, of watching um, people adapt to different kinds of movements. And you could see um, it came more naturally or with more training to, to some people than others. But it was still an interesting um, pairing, I thought. Mm -hmm. And there were, uh, you know, there were parts, too, where they would um, sort of pair off with the soloists from the mm -hmm. choir. Yes. And uh, some of the best movement was happening in those solos because there was um, there one... There four soloists as part of the choir. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of the one of the dancers paired with the soloist was uh, one of the parkour dancers, and he did a lot of really great floor work and spins, um, you know. And it, it's just kind of neat to see someone doing that um, sort of like street dance style on the Winspear stage so skillfully, mm -hmm. and then lined up with someone like Joshua Wolchanski, who is very classically trained, really big with the leaps and bounds and, and classical movement, um, but also just just as virtuosic and just as strong in the body. So I, I, I enjoyed those solo bits because you really got to see the skills of the individual dancers or the movers. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, there was also, I feel like it was a, it was a very tight space for uh, the amount of people on it. There was Mm -hmm. a small orchestra and there were movers um and so there was sort of a a, oh. a worst nightmare moment I oh think, yeah of, the so, performer's nightmare moment yeah sure. so uh, at one point um for one of the movements uh there are these four soloists uh vocal soloists who have who have their their music and their books in their hands and they're each paired with a dancer beside them who are doing these movements and one of the dancers uh kicks one of the the soloist's books yeah uh, out of their hand and a couple sheets scatter and to their credit very smooth recovery not a not a beat miss the dancer just 
just sort of went down and scooped up what had what had fallen and got the book back to him and finished their movement sequence and it didn't look like much was out of order so it wasn't mm. like it wasn't like it disrupted the show outside of seeing it happen outside of knowing that oh no that dancer just kicked that singer's right. book out of his hands which and then to, to know like oh <laughs> handled very smoothly yeah they got out of it really smoothly handled it very well um and I mean I did I kind of kept my eye on the dancer a little bit afterward and because I know that I would be incredibly shaken if that happened sure. to me as a performer and um but yeah no just picked right up very professional didn't miss a beat the rest of the show mm-hmm. um yeah so in you know in those cases when you're doing sort of an experiment with um you know a group that doesn't always work with dancers mm-hmm. and also you know a stage like the Windspear that is not incredibly um you know deep or compensating for like I don't know, 40 people to be on sure, it at one yeah, time. <laughs> a, huge, a huge amount to have motion as part of it. Normally mm-hmm. when it's filled with that many people, no one's really moving around. Mm-hmm. All that being said, I did think that the movement could have been more downstage. Um, you know, in, in certain ways, yes, the parkour had to be far enough back that it was safe, of, of course. course. Yeah. But um, uh, the rest of the movement, I do feel, particularly those solos, I felt that they're, the placement with the with the solo dancers and the, um, the choral solos could have been a little bit more um could have been placed in a way that you would would actually feature the dancer and the soloist better sure um i i kind of you sort of lost the soloists behind the dancers in this um and i felt that you know they were both performing equally so i kind Mm -hmm. of wanted to see them both um yeah. A special movement shout out to the conductor whose name yeah. escapes me, but who was just given her in a really uh, entertaining way. Uh, yeah, she was she was pretty cool. I really um, uh, I don't I don't recall her name either at this point. But yes, I also throughout. So the there were uh, of the nine pieces that they were dancing, there were, I think, four or five that they weren't. And mm-hmm. throughout the four or five that they weren't, I just watched the back of the conductor's head the entire and time and yeah. Uh, yeah well and her and her body she had great shoes i you know mm-hmm. we're, we're just getting to, yeah i had the, the one woman on the stage that really right. commanded some attention right um <laughs> liked cool. her cool <laughs> great um so uh let's maybe move on to the third piece we saw yeah we just got we just got back from this yes uh this was uh broken sound squared i guess broken sound Two, um, uh, as presented by the the Brian Webb Dance Company, featuring Brian Webb, um, yes. but not by himself. Yes, well, it was a follow up to Gary James Joins Broken Sound Exhibition Installation, mm-hmm. um, which uh, appeared at DC Three, um, maybe projects, a couple, yeah. couple yeah. of years ago. Yeah. Uh, in any case, so um, Brian saw this piece and, perf- and wanted to um, make it into a performance piece that he would move within. Right. So yeah, well, um, why although, don't you kick us off on on, on how it looked and well, like what we saw? Really. Sure, and I would say it it, it it was deceptive in that it began without a sense of being a, a dance piece. You come into the the Tim Center and the the theater, and they're uh, they're already on stage. Um, sitting in front of what's clearly sort of a two microphone setup. Gary has a lot of gear around him. Um, and there's there's clearly um, pillows and cushions and some couching on on the stage. Obviously, we're going to be going on the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and sure enough, it starts. Brian Webb sort of brings everyone up. Uh, everyone finds a seat. 
uh, and they just start talking. It's sort of a conversation. Um, the the curtain comes down, closing us off from the audience where where I'd left my wallet and phone unattended. But yeah, and um, all my stuff. <laughs> yeah, um, but nothing happened. Um, and they they almost immediately get into. Uh, they talk about how they were just talking about uh, music, um, and very quickly sort of segue into talking about their parents. Um, both of them mm. have been caring for their parents uh, the past few years in, mm. in varying degrees and start telling these very um, heavy stories um, right off the bat. And after after a few beats of just that sort of storytelling, um, Gary starts manipulating the sound. So the microphones they're both speaking into start having reverb and delays and echoes and, mm. and refrains that sort of come from the things they say, or even just sort of these these um, garbled sounds that give it um, uh, uh, moments of sort of almost David Lynchy unease or, yeah, so or strange um, decay sort of to it all. Yeah, I felt like it was adding texture to the sound yes. of their voices, right? Yes. Like like Brian would say something about, you know, I mean... Caring for his mother. Yeah, caring for his mother. They, you know, they're talking about elderly parents who are near their, um, you know, in, in, in either palliative care or very senior care. Yeah. And... Um, you know, very frank, actual discussions. Gary was saying that, you know, his mother is in um, her last days, essentially, mm-hmm. and and speaking. And then they would also speak about, you know, like their fathers when they had actually passed. What I was really actually quite beautiful, which um, kind of rounded back to the very end of the piece, was when Brian was speaking about his father um, and helping his father to the bathroom uh, as you know, in his kind of like last day or two, mm-hmm. and um, just wrapping his arms around him so that he could stand up when he was finished, and that that sort of embrace, Brian said, you know, it's like we were slow dancing, mm-hmm. and you know, they just kind of like held that moment there, and the piece actually ended on that image as well with of Brian and Gary hugging. Embracing. I thought that was really right. that was very emotional, like to to see. But but to go from that first mention to that last hug, so much happened in the sense of um, uh, uh, the stories finish and Brian and Gary, um, I don't know if there's a way to make this sound as affecting as it was, but sing into the microphones. Not oh, not yeah. uh, not mm-hmm. words, not but sort of these these um, just harmonies, these vocals, these sort of like um, one note melodies mm-hmm. um, that are then subsequently warped by Gary's sounds and then and then um, and that was and that was like precursored by Gary's story about singing his father to his death yeah yeah which is so it's a lot lot of lot it of was, heavy conversations so, these weren't yeah, light, I mean, light chats it's, yeah it started with all of these stories about kind of like leading up to death and, and, and also you know I mean I think that it's been a theme of Brian's in the last few years to kind of examine maybe not mortality, but that sort of like that end phase of life where you are looking back and saying, you know, kind of reflecting on sure. what life is. And, and sort of some of those systems that have taken care of you in, the, in this, mm-hmm. in both of their cases, parents are sort of now you're that has that relationship has changed and suddenly you're the one uh, taking care of them and, and what that means. Well, and that and that line too, the, you know, like the reversal of care and he realizes that he couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was a very sort of um, grotesque and visceral story about um, Brian talking about, um, you taking know. Taking care of his mom in palliative care. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, and just sort of, uh, 
uh, yeah, having to go get a nurse to help him, I guess, with mm-hmm. something that was going on and not being able to do it um, uh, in that moment. He just felt that he couldn't return the care that she had been able to give mm-hmm. him as a child in a certain way. And yeah, and it was very, I mean, it, at times it was very shocking mm-hmm. and very blunt in its sort of, you know, like the grotesqueness of a body that is decaying. Sure, yeah. Um, but that's also then what got sort of um, what was projected in the images. Right. So so after that, um, uh, once they start singing, um, these four big um, uh, screens, I guess, these vertical screens sort of around us uh, illuminate with these sort of strange images, which are comparable to, like, I, my comparison would be Koen Eskatsi, mm-hmm. which is an abstract film you can find um in on the youtubes probably at this point um but these sort of these images that um are sort of these long uh vertical slats of of what almost looks like wood and then starts to warp in shape at some points it looks like you're looking at the stars through blinds you know Mm -hmm. and then they start to lose their their structure and their rigidity of shape and yeah and um, what's what was amazing about being in the space and sitting um so the the four screens are placed at the corners around mm -hmm. the room so you're inside of all of the projections that are happening and what was what was really interesting and a little bit more um, physical about see, about the images themselves was that the projectors had v- these extremely strong light beams that would come through and a little just a little bit of fog. Mm-hmm. So the actual light from the projector started looking like a wall. Like I was yeah. actually sitting on one of I was sitting on a bench where one of the projectors was just hitting my shoulder. So I had a I had a clear wall happening from one mm-hmm. end of the stage to the other in my line of. Which was just great. It, it and then to have these really, really intense, high color images being projected, and then to have Brian sort of move or dance in front of them, mm-hmm. you almost lost his body shape. You could kind of tell that it was there, right? But, but you so like it was so the image itself was so powerful mm-hmm. um, and so light heavy that uh, you almost didn't see the body moving behind. Yeah, it. yeah, it almost looks like it's a shadow maybe behind it. You know, he gets up from his seat and is just sort of wandering and the and does some movement and. Um, there's sort of there was one moment of sort of hitting his hand in what seemed like frustration, and the the this well Gary still manipulated sound. I guess what stood out for me was that it really seemed like um, uh, when we're looking at these ideas of you know uh, elderly parents and and passing away and mortality and things like that. There are these huge sort of intangible thoughts that are that are too big to really process, and it really had that sense of sort of drifting through things that were bigger than yourself and these ideas that were so big and no matter how you feel about them they're these huge projections that are going to do what they want and Mm -hmm. decay as they will and you're just passing through and so with brian wandering through them there was a sense of watching someone ponder these things Mm -hmm. well and i think that the sound that accompanied it Mm -hmm. also sort of helped you do that like it was a very it was a very low basal sound that kind of basal. like vibrate. It just really vibrated through mm-hmm. everything, and you know, at at certain times it would be it would lighten up and then and then uh, kind of round back again. But the sound itself was sort of kind of um, 
it, it was it made the video and the images a lot more immersive. I yes. felt like I felt like Brian's movement could have been there, could not have been. You know, like I. But sitting in the installation itself was mm-hmm. a, a great experience. And I think even just to have someone, regardless of the actual movement and and uh, that was going on, but to have to watch someone wandering through that and seeing the projections play out over their their body and as they pass around them, I think that was pretty central to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And then and then Gary got up near the end and sort of wandered around too. And there was that sense of, again, consideration. And mm-hmm. and then they and then they hugged and then it was over. Yeah. And then we all wondered if we could leave or if there was we, more. Should we go? Can we and go then, get our stuff, yeah, guys? Stuff guys? <laughs> and it was. And it was a success. Yeah. In that. So I guess that's um, an interesting thing. In the last couple of shows we've seen Brian Webb do, um, where he's performed himself, there has been sort of a sense of um, storytelling and reflection, um, and uh, and yeah, and and memory. I guess is that that's something you've noticed as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I you know prior to maybe just this last little while, I haven't seen Brian use a lot of verbalization or mm-hmm. you know like literal narration in his pieces, um, which is something that we see a lot of contemporary dance groups doing more and more. So yes, maybe that's the norm, but also maybe I wonder at sixty five years old, I, I wonder if Mr. Webb has reached a point in his career where he's just kind of thanks you know. I have these stories to tell and I want to tell them in a certain way and that's just how I'm going to do them. <laughs> right, right. And they've actually been really effective, especially mm-hmm. the last couple we've seen. This one was was meditative and, and mm-hmm. uh, a really interesting pairing of artists and the one at, um, at Chinook was... Uh, which was mostly him just storytelling mm-hmm. and moving was was uh, very effective. And even going back to the couple of um, you know last installation pieces that we've seen him do, mm. the one with Blair Brennan, like I thought that was really interesting. The one where he was hammering yeah. Um, yeah. for a really long time, and then the um, uh, the one we saw this summer at the uh, Enterprise Square. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the bodies in question, yeah. I believe, was the yeah. name. Uh, yeah, but uh, had sort of um, uh, almost an installation piece of repetition and sequence, and again mm-hmm. memory and a pattern. Yeah, so um, I mean, I maybe at, at his, uh, <laughs> as he would say, at his old guy age, um, he has said that to me before, so I'm not okay, just saying. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, he's like, I'm an old guy in this community. I'm just like, well, you're, you know, he well, and at 65 as a dancer to still be working as much as he is 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 pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe it's time to have a longer chat with him someday mm, yeah. about. Um, about all that about jazz. stuff. <laughs> cool, great. And that was what we saw. That was a lot of stuff. That was a real lot of stuff. And there's still stuff coming up. We know that um, the other is coming up at the Roxy on Gateway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Romeo and Juliet with Alberta Ballet is also coming up. And these are these are all things that are happening in, in a few weeks. So we'll try and touch base before then. <laughs> right, but thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, thanks. Go see some dance. Bye. I Don't Get It is a podcast produced by Poglina, Fonda Mithrush, and Andrew Paul. It was recorded in a blanket fort in the Tall House on Alberta Avenue in Edmonton, Alberta. Our website is idontgetitdance.com. You can follow us on Twitter at I Don't Get It Dance, and you can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Our theme song is Mountain Time by Ghibli. Follow his music and check him out at ghibli.bandcamp.com. Sit here thinking.